Welcome to the Well, why don't we just get right to it? We have our guest for today to talk with us about Lenape culture, the women of the Lenape, uh, Jeremy Johnson. Jeremy, welcome. Hey, Kulamosi Hutch. <laughs> you get Sean, your own sound effect. John likes to give everyone applause. <laughs> so there you go. There's your intro. <laughs> sure. Thank you. <laughs> so, Jeremy, uh, why don't you uh, just introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, and Tell us a little bit about um, who you are and what you do. Wanishi, Delawensi, Lepoyokan Katata, Nita, Lenape, Shanu, Akpeoli. My name is Jeremy Johnson. I am Delaware or Lenape. It's kind of hard to kind of get past some of those ways of speaking about ourselves in the past and reclaiming our, our true name. But I am Lenape, Shani, and Peoria. Um, but at the moment, I am the cultural education director for the Delaware Tribe of Indians based in Barsville, Oklahoma. Wonderful. And let's, that's actually a great place to start because let's explain, let's talk about when you say Lenape and you say Delaware, who are the Lenape? What is the distinction you're making as you're talking about that there when you say Delaware versus Lenape in terms of obviously how people themselves or ourselves talk about it? and how it was that that sort of name or moniker was given as well from people who encountered them. Yeah, we are the Lenape people. We refer to ourselves as Lenape people. And as in most uh, Native American or indigenous languages, our name means the people. And over time, as uh, we had more contact with uh, Europeans and, and others, uh, it began. We began to be referred to as the Delaware people because of where we lived along the uh, Delaware River, the Hudson River Valley. Uh, so, basically, when people would ask, it was those Native Americans who live on the Delaware became the Delaware Indians, and that's how it kind of came to pass as we were known as Delaware through a lot of historical documents and, and a lot of our past. So it had changed from our original name. We still refer to ourselves as Lenape, but we started using Delaware itself as well. Uh, it's even re- represented in the name of my community and our tribe, the Delaware Tribe of Indians. What? Uh, so it's obvious for the name for the listeners. So, you know, we have listeners outside the U.S. So let's give them kind of a picture of uh, where the Lenape people were uh, located within the United States, just kind of. As you know, we talked about a little bit beforehand, you know, just sort of the pre-colonial, quote-unquote, history, the history of European contact. Where were the Lenape people in what is present-day United States? Well, where the Lenape people reside is what we call Lenape Hawking, which is the homelands of the Lenape. And that those homelands encompassed uh, a lot of New York State, including Manhattan Island, and uh, part of Long Island. <laughs> As you know, Jerry, that's where I'm from, and I'm proud of the Lenape, of course, history that I share with that. Okay, so yeah. Okay, that's, anyway, that's, go, go. That's fine. We have uh, all of New Jersey, uh, the eastern uh, parts of uh, Pennsylvania, well down into Delaware and parts of Maryland, and so we that was those are our homelands. What we call Lenape Hawking. And we were all along the Hudson River Valley. We're all along uh, the Delaware River, what we call the Napé Sipu, which means Lenape River. So those were our homelands uh, for time immemorial. 
the uh it has been recognized by the other tribes in the areas we were recognized as the grandfathers because they realized that we had been there in that area the longest. Mm-hmm. There does that tie um does that tie with uh, one of the things that, that I had seen in talking about the, the Algonquin speaking peoples. So for that large, this, you know, the much larger band of Algonquin speaking peoples, do the, the Lenape, are they looked at as that, that sort of like origin tribe in terms of the, the, the people who share that language and that culture uh, as well, or is it just within the, the larger groupings? That's a good question. It's a lot of times those those things have become less and less clear. However, we do know that uh, within our Lenape communities, we were divided up into uh, two, actually three at certain times in our history, three bands. And we had our Muncie band, which was the northern groups that really did inhabit New York and Manhattan. And then you had a a smaller band that spoke. it was northern Unami and then southern Unami. And those basically mean that uh, they were different dialects of the Lenape language, which, as you pointed out, is, is Algonquian. What is recognized is that the Muncie dialect is the oldest of all of those uh, Lenape dialects. And it's there are other uh, dialects of Algonquian speaking peoples who have many of the same words. So it's kind of confusing as far as language itself but the but the other tribes in the area uh referred to us as grandfathers because they recognize we've been there the longest so it kind of comes it stands to reason that our language would have been one of the original algonquian dialects okay um you know we're certainly going to turn to specifically the role of women within uh lenape culture but i just want to just a few, few more questions just kind of the sketch out the picture and also because my family had some questions so i'm gonna <laughs> i want to throw them in so um and it's on the history so let me so this is actually from my nephew he asked about how much of the oral history of the lenape people survived displacement so well well i want to because i want to talk about what we're because you're obviously in oklahoma and let's talk we'll talk about how the lenape people got there uh, and then we'll again we'll, we'll get into the the nature of of men and women in the culture but how much of that history was able to was was able to be maintained in the face of what was happening from european settlement a lot of the oral histories have been passed down are considering our origin stories and other stories that explain things that happen in nature uh they're not quite as prevalent today we're trying to revitalize some of those stories but we have records of them as well so whenever we talk about uh, where we came from and how we came into being, those have been passed on all these years. So um, when you're talking about European settlement and our forced migration or and relocations, um, we've maintained quite a few things, but it is hard whenever you have uh, stories, traditions, ceremonies are connected to a land you inhabited for thousands of years. Whenever you're forced over a 300 year period westward to lands that are unfamiliar, a lot of those ceremonies and even parts of the language start to fade away. So really we maintained a lot of the stories, but some of our traditions and ceremonies began to fall by the wayside because they were connected to uh, the land, certain things that happened during certain times of years. Um, And so uh, uh, we've, we've maintained as much as we can and, we are actually in the process of trying to revitalize our, our language within our community. Um, and so I, it's, uh, it's been tough, but there are still pieces of what is truly Lenape that we still pass on, that I pass on to my kids, stories that we love to tell, that my grandmother told me, that were told to her by her mother, and, and so on and so forth. Are, are there, um, is there any initiative to kind of reconnect with that region? back to the region of, you know, Southern New York, Northern New Jersey, Delaware? Uh, is there any kind of uh, a movement or an effort to kind of go to connect back with that so that those stories and those traditions will be revitalized? There are, there, there are governmental initiatives within our tribes, our three, uh, three uh, federally recognized Lenape tribes. 
uh, to reconnect and have our presence, uh, our, our creative presence again of uh, true Lenape peoples in the area. Uh, so we work with uh, museums, we work with institutions in our day-to-day -day things like what we call NAGPRA, which is the Native American Graves and uh, Protection Repatriation Act for artifacts and, and those types of things and ancestral remains. So we are making efforts to make, uh, build relationships. Uh, specifically, we have some agreements with uh, Ursinus College in Collegeville, Pennsylvania, where we're working together to raise awareness of the Lenape history and contributions to the area of the Perkiomen Valley in Pennsylvania there. Uh, we're working with uh, different uh, entities, universities, um, working with uh, state parks. Uh, at a certain point, we're coming to Great Patterson Falls next year to put on cultural programming. And in doing that, it helps us by uh, allowing us to bring our community members back to Lenape Hawking to experience it oftentimes for the first time. I managed to make a trip back for the first time in uh, 2021, I guess. So last year, um, it seems like forever ago now, but it was last year wow. uh, for the first time. And I I got to see the, the, the Lenape Sipu. And I was probably the first person in my immediate family in over 250 years who was actually able to touch the waters of the Delaware River oh, and so it had gosh. some great yes it's it was a very moving and, and a very special moment and and just being in the area uh for me I was able to see some things that I saw the connections with we've carried to Oklahoma things like simply looking at the different plants and recognizing them because of the regalia we wear the, the the clothing that we use for uh, ceremony or even our, our social gatherings, seeing different leaves that were beaded on the toes of moccasins that we don't have the trees like that in Oklahoma, like the sassafras trees. We nice. see sassafras leaves beaded onto the toes of our moccasins as well as many other types of plants that we just don't have where we were forced to relocate into Oklahoma. So it is important for us to bring our community members back so that they can make those same connections or their own connections from their own family stories, from our own family traditions to see where they initially came from. And we have some grassroots uh, uh, movements amongst our uh, three, uh, well, actually five communities. We have three federally recognized the United States and two First Nations in Canada communities. And the women, the matriarchs of those communities have uh, really gotten together in a grassroots movement to start sending our uh, Lenape Hoyok, which is our Lenape women, back to the New York area, the New Jersey area, the Pennsylvania area to experience those things and interact with people and build relationships so we can then start bringing our youth and start getting them to experience those areas in, in exciting ways they never have. Get them to go be able to canoe down the, the Lenape Sipu, the Delaware River. Get yeah. them to go uh, to you know, Rockaway Beach, and just go experience being on the ocean there, where you have your your um, your muscles, your, your the shells that we made yeah. warm them out of those types of things. Uh, being able to pick those up off the ground for the first time, this is what we made our wampum out of. Those those type of experiences uh, we are really pushing for, and it's just you know it's it's a slow process, but it is one that we think is meaningful. And it's uh, just the, the, the distance from our original homelands and the, the uh, you can't get away from it. The, the, the monetary challenges we face is, are the right. only things that really prevent us from doing it on a larger scale. Uh, that's uh, just one sort of little further follow-up because we'll, we'll talk about what you were saying about bringing, you know, obviously women coming back to the New York area. A question just for my sister, which is that of that New York area time period, is there, where would one be able to find a more about the Lenape history in that area? Uh, and is, I mean, as you're connecting, are you sort of developing uh, or, or re-unearthing more about that particular historical time period before, you know, before the, the tribe was forced westward? Well, we are making reconnecting. We're trying to uh, really 
have our voices heard in, in different ways. I know uh, there's a, um, I haven't got to visit a lot of the different um, museums, but I know the, the, the State Museum in Trenton, New Jersey, uh, has a really uh, uh, pretty robust um, display about the Lenape peoples and, and our histories there. We're trying to develop some more of those things. I'm actually working with a, a very small museum right now in Long Beach Island. A seasonal museum where we're going to start trying to make their displays and uh, uh, exhibits about Lenape more robust and give them more information. So really, it's it's kind of sad, but we don't really have a, a good presence, a good source of information for people who are wanting to learn more about us uh, on the East Coast. Um, the only ways that we uh, that people can get the true, accurate historical information is actually kind of contacting people like myself or the Delaware Nation's cultural uh, officers or the Stockbridge Muncie's cultural officers. So um, it's it's kind of kind of sad that we've been erased almost so thoroughly, but we are making inroads and in trying to uh, provide information and education about who we are and our existence and our contributions in uh, our original homelands. Well, don't worry, you're still strong there. The presence is still strong there. Let's definitely talk about that off offline about connecting back to New York. Yeah, I remember, um, do you remember, Sean, the the photo uh, essay um, exhibit that uh, Vicki Noble told us about? This is probably a good way to kind of like segue into, let's talk about, because you were talking about bringing the women from where you are in Oklahoma back to these ancestral lands. And so let's talk about the role of, of women in Lenape culture. Um, you know, one of the things, one of the ways that this came up was that the part of the discussion was to talk about these kind of matriarchal, for want of a better term, or matrilineal or matrilocal uh, cultural structures in Lenape culture. So what mm-hmm. what is the nature of, in terms of matrilineal and matrilocal uh structures and networks what how what how did that work in lenape culture historically historically our 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 matriarchs are hugely important to our our communities um basically they they were the decision makers really you know you had councils and leaders and thing uh, things that got together people who got together but they were working off the advice and the the council of our our uh, Lenape Queo you know which are our Lenape women um, in everyday life um, the Lenape women were the keepers of the their home the the, the ownership of the home was theirs they were uh, uh, they were in charge of um, basically anything uh, of maintaining the place, whether that was crops, uh, taking care of children, doing those things. But the men then were their job was to clear the land and also go procure food from hunting and those types of things. But the women had all the power in the relationship because um, we're also being matrilineal. Our, our clans come from our mothers and their mothers that's how the, the clans are determined um and so one of the great things my grandmother always used to tell me she said you know lenape women were, were very strong and and uh they had all the power in the relationship if they felt that their uh husband for lack of a better term a partner was not doing their job all they had to simply do was place his possessions outside of their dwelling and that meant they were done it was time to move on and he had no no say in the matter at that point. <laughs> so um, it's, it's, it's a it's a very different than the European ideal of what a, a, a family or how a family should operate. Right. Was there an understanding of to whom the children were primarily allianced? Well, so if in, if you know a, a woman decided that uh, her partner was not was just not working anymore and put his um, possessions outside the the house, uh, did that mean the children stayed with her? In in most cases, yes. In more uh, in pretty much all the cases I've been told about, that was how it operated. That uh, the 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 children stayed with the women, and then. Um, oftentimes other family members would help to raise 
the the boys in the in the different ways, whether it was hunting or, or fishing or, or whatever it was that was needed in ceremonial ceremonially. Um, because even like the uh, in in those family units, oftentimes the uncles of a boy were were in charge of basically raising them, not the father. Right. And I uh, so it was oftentimes the uncle. So the um, and the during the time when they were young, you know, the the mother obviously cared for them uh, in, around the home and and, and uh, taught them different things and told them stories and, and just basically showed them where their their role what their role was within the community. So um, yeah, th- that power lies there, and it's it, those those clan lines are are ex- were extremely strong. Um, we've still carried a lot of the clans or we carried the clans with us, but um, as you start to intermarry with other tribes uh, and other peoples, where, you know, uh, that begins, begin to get a little bit confused nowadays. We still carry those, those clans and we still claim our clans, but a lot of people are now confused because of a lot of the different intermarriages with tribes and, uh, and other folks that it's kind of, it kind of muddied the water for a lot of folks. So, sure. but, um, but it was, all that that the clan lines were uh traced to the mother and determined and you could not marry within your own clan so it was important to maintain those lines right right yeah in uh in uh some of the matriarchy matriarchy work i believe max uses this term uh the matric clan so it Ma- was max dash you just so yeah. for the listener okay as it's sort of a way of of encapsulating that idea of that it is the the matriline that determines the clan and that um the the children are often raised by uh you know the on the brothers and sisters as well as the mother mm-hmm. so the mother and then her brothers and sisters help with the raising of her children yeah, and you gotta remember that in this time in the in our um, communities, we weren't this massive uh, group that just stuck together. So you're gonna have uh, small villages of you know anywhere from ten to fifty to sometimes you know a hundred uh, uh, folks, and there was communal living. You know, you're talking about longhouse living, um, and so. And there are other times, you know, we have the Wikiwam, you know, which the word wigwam came from. We had the Wikiwam. Uh, so those are smaller dwellings. But in, for most folks, it was uh, this this longhouse communal living. So you had to be uh, involved with this, each other's families. Yes. Yeah, no. absolutely. Yeah. It wasn't this this crazy idea that, you know, we have in America today of like these, these, uh, you know, tiny little family units that uh, isolate themselves in houses. And it's, it's changed so much, even over the last 40 years, when I was young, um, it was nothing for some of what we would call our, you know, not necessarily by blood, but our aunties or our grandmas Mm -hmm. just getting onto us. And uh, if we were doing something wrong, you know, it was, it was expected that the other women hardly ever the men really it was usually the women who discipline the children uh and tell them when they were doing something wrong sometimes you know you get the support of the 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 man but i've there have been a few times that my my brother and i would get yelled at by uh a, an old native woman and who was that i don't know who that was but we better listen <laughs> <laughs> How how would it work, Jeremy? So you're saying in in terms of, you know, the the mothers, brothers, and sisters, uh, the mothers, brothers, as they talk about sometimes. But if you were a father and a husband, so would he? Would a father say, you know, he has his children? Would he be someone more focused on his sister's offspring in terms of their rearing, and the offspring, his own offspring, would be kind of overlooked, overseen in terms of the male groupings by the by the mother's brothers. So, I mean, it kind of worked like that. So the father himself would, would be more focused towards the clan he came from. Is that kind of how it worked? Well, um, in a way, I mean, I, I, you, in, these lines are going to cross as well. You know, a father's going to teach their, their, their son as well. But when it came to things like um, 
doing things like uh, going to get visions. It was the uncle's responsibility to take the, the nephews mm-hmm. out to okay. do those types of things. The important roles and the important kind of milestones, those were the responsibility of the uncles to take their, their nephews out to do those things. And I think one of the reasons is because those things weren't easy, you know, take uh, in that time. And so it's almost a little bit easier for an uncle to be a little bit harder on uh, their nephew than it may be for a father sometimes. You know, you as a, as a parent, you don't want to see your children suffer. Um, and and it, there's a little bit of a disconnect. Of course, the uncles didn't want to see their, their nephews suffer a lot, but they, were, they had a little bit different uh, threshold for that. <laughs> and so the, the, when, and after marriage, you would move in with the wife's clan. Is that kind of the idea? The, yes. The husband so, and wife. Yes. So if you, for example, we had these three clans, we have the turtle, the, uh, wolf and the turkey clan. So to explain that clan system, uh, fairly briefly, most of the Unami folks are Southern Unami who inhabited most, you know, New Jersey and, and the areas there were uh, traditionally turtle clan people. Our Muncie folks who inhabited, you know, Manhattan and, and New York all the way up to, you know, as far as Albany and everything, they were, they were wolf clan. And then the Turkey were um, our adoptees, our captives, um, mm and people who were married into the tribe without a clan. And yeah, of course, you know, I'm using married kind of loosely. That's the best way to describe it. You know? Right. And so if here, here's kind of a, kind of give you an example. So if a Turk, uh, a turtle woman married outside and married a person from the wolf clan, then all her children are going to be, are going to be turtle clan. Now he maintains his clanship as a wolf clan, but he adopts the ways of the turtle clan if, if there are any different ways. So his wolf his wolf clan does not get passed down to his children. So his he changes, and I have a question about wolf and turtle and what they mean. So he then, even though he's born into the wolf clan, once he marries, he becomes he adopts the ways of the clan he marries into, and of course his children take those ways as well. Yes, and he may carry some ways with him, but he's there to support the the continuance of that the his children's clan there and his in his wife's clan. And you were expected to marry outside your clan, right? That's the idea of yes that 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 keeps your uh, keeps from intermarrying with family members, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Right, which that, which makes that, sense for them. Yeah, that that was a way of of um, keeping uh, people healthy. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. It's it goes so much so far as that um, when I was courting uh, my wife, who is you know uh, now my wife, um, she is Lenape as well, and she's also Shawnee. I'm Lenape and Shawnee, and when we started uh, dating, um, my grandmother and her mother got together and started going through our family lines. Right. As far, far back as they could to make sure, because we have some shared relatives, but they're not by blood. They're di- we, were, we were different clans, and so they were not by blood. They, they were happened through some intermarriage back, uh, you know, in the early 1900s and late 1800s. But that was a concern. They, one yeah. of the first things, like, wait, you might be related. And we were like, are you serious right now? Well, let's figure this out before we before we continue on we need to yeah you need to get that out of the way before you keep dating yes <laughs> how how did the the names come about wolf and turtle just curious Do you, what's the origin of them well i mean it's it's the translation it just is the uh um seat is actually a wolf and uh um I always get the turtle wrong in Lenape language myself, since that wasn't my, I'm being a wolf clan myself. So, but, uh, it was, um, there's, there, there haven't been really any stories that I've heard that where those actually originated as a ah, class. Okay. Um, it's, it's kind of been lost and we've just accepted, you know, ah. that's what it is. So, and just as a side note that Tuxit, um, is, uh, uh, Tuxitu is the place of the wolf clan people. And that became Tuxedo, New York. Oh. oh. 
and ah. tuxedo is actually a corruption of our name of the place of the wolf clan people there we go our word for that and manhattan is a, another lenape yes manhattan and there, there are some different um uh, interpretations of what that means the, the most common is that the it, the it actually it meant the place of many hills but um as we've gotten in some discussions about that um it actually comes from a muncie word which may not actually mean that and i don't know um what it is the actual meaning is now i would have to talk to our muncie relatives to actually get a clearer picture of what that means but the the common uh the common interpretation of that uh, as of the last, I don't know, probably 40, 50, at least 60 years has been the the land of many hills or the hilly place. It's interesting. I remember reading about uh, and just being in, in New York history and the history of um, the Lenape people there, that one of the things that they, that early Europeans noted was that there was so much like, you know, uh, because like you talk about you know, living off the sea as well, living off clams and oysters and stuff like that. Um, that they would, there would be mounds of oysters and they would be, mm -hmm. it looked like hills. There would be just a bunch of, because so much was consumed, it was so mm -hmm. plentiful. So you had all these sort of like white mounds that kind of developed uh, over time. So that's really fascinating to hear. Uh, in terms yeah. Of the name. When you talk about, I believe it's Pearl Street, uh, that was one of the main areas where they would, they would come and basically um, shell everything and there would be mounds there of, and when it, the the shells were so crushed along that area that's where the name the idea they look like pearls they shone like pearls oh so, okay pearls i didn't street. i hadn't known about that specific street. i'll have to when i go home i'll have to look at that that's that's amazing that's real that's really amazing jeremy could you talk a little bit about um so the idea of matrilocality um the clans being uh the, the Matra clans, the locations where they were, um, being disrupted by the forced location and what that did to the um, Matra clan sort of structures and traditions. Yeah, uh, once we've had initial contact with, you know, Verrazano and Hudson Bay and then uh, the Dutch, once we were pushed, at, our, our relatives were pushed out of um uh, Manhattan Island and the wall uh, of Wall Street was built and constructed to keep our Muncie relatives out of Manhattan Island. It became um, something that uh, those those clans maintained then as well, but we were forced into a smaller area of living at that point. And as we were forced westward uh, by the Walking Purchase, by the Treaty of Greenville, by the Treaty of St. Mary's, uh, all the way from through, you know, the first one is we had to go past the uh, Susquehannock River in Pennsylvania. Then the next treaty was we had to go to Ohio. And the next treaty was that we had to go into Indiana and Illinois. And then we got pushed out of there into Missouri and into Kansas. And at this time, some of the other uh, communities broke off. Um, our Muncie relatives kind of started heading north to reside with the Oneidas, who were always um, gracious and accepting of them and then at a certain point uh, another band of, of uh, Lenape folks headed south into Caddo territory which is you know t uh, eastern Texas and even Louisiana uh, to try and reside there so we we started getting separated um, because you know as different leaders of different communities had different ideas of what they needed to do to make sure that they could survive and thrive um, so and what that did is when we ended up in Indian Territory in Oklahoma and the Cherokee uh, Reservation in 1868, uh, so did a lot of other tribes. Um, in Oklahoma, there are 39 federally recognized tribes. Um, so what, you're, what happened then is because our community started dwindling down to such small numbers, it's estimated that we had close to uh, going from you know, tens of thousands of Lenape people to our community being of, of about uh, 2,000 by the time we got to Kansas, that um, you, you're starting to lose um, marrying another Lenape person from another clan because a lot of times the clan people stuck together. Most of the people that ended up in Oklahoma were of the Turtle Clan. Um, and so 
it's hard then whenever your uh, other clans are in Canada and Wisconsin to find someone who was Lenape to marry. So a lot of times they would intermarry with Cherokee or Osage or the, the folks who are around. Right. And, and white as well. You know, yes. so the clan systems then began to um, get a lot more complicated and a lot harder to maintain, although we still are maintaining it to this day. It just became a lot more difficult. Right. And what that also did was it causes our, if we go by our traditional clan system, it really caused our turkey clan to grow exponentially. Because if you married someone who did not have a Lenape clan um, as a male, then that meant that your children were their turkey clan. Right. Since your clan wasn't passed down. And so if I were to marry a, say, a Cherokee woman who had no Lenape clan, then my children would have been turkey clan but i managed mm-hmm. to find someone who was a turtle clan and, and so my children are turtle clan and nice so let me uh, oh sorry go ahead yeah the other thing that i wanted to talk a little bit about that um that is uh certainly not uh unique to the lenape um but i'm curious how it specifically affected um the lenape's traditions is of course, as uh, the Europeans uh, took control of lands and um, started to uh, dictate the rules, quote unquote, um, a lot of the colonial um, emphasis was, of course, on male leadership because the colonials were largely uh, patriarchal societies and, and women did not have nearly as many rights in, in the colonial societies. So h- how that affected um, interactions with these colonial incursions and the treaties and things like that, was there a shift of necessity in the tribes because colonials would only deal with male Indians, quote unquote, Indians, you know, they would only deal with the, the males in the native American tribes. Well, that is, um, a good question because that's something that, uh, that didn't really change honestly our uh our matriarchs really were the ones who um had the biggest voice so whenever whenever there was a decision we made yes you had the the male representatives there and they would advise them and oftentimes what they're just doing is carrying out the will of the the matriarchs within the community interesting so this, the internal decision structure resisted mm-hmm. that influence. Fascinating! Oh, that's that's wonderful. That's great to hear. Yeah, and it and as we got further away from a lot of the traditional ways after being forced out of Kansas, you know, the the there were more representations outwardly of patriarchy. However, within our communities. There is no question that our matriarchs are in charge. Just ask my mother and my grandmother. So, <laughs> wonderful. Well, more power to them. <laughs> That's great. And then, um, oh, sorry, Sean, did you want to? No, no, go uh, continue okay. on because the, the question I have will be going back to the past a little bit. So. Okay, great. Um, so uh, we talked a little bit at the beginning um, about the matriarchs of uh, different clans. You had mentioned some uh, that there were um, some native uh, matriarchs up in Canada that were interfacing with uh, the Lenape matriarchs. How is the rematriation movement, as it's as it's been called, um, how is that? Uh, how are the Lenape involved in that, if at all? How is that affecting uh, sort of the work of the women of your tribe? That's, that's a good question. Uh, it's been very strong. Um, one of the things that uh, I'm seeing is our younger uh, Hueok, our, our women, really stepping up into uh, positions of leadership within community, um, within uh, the tribe itself. We've always had, um, as we've been forced to adopt um, European governmental ways to mm-hmm. operate, 
sure. uh, we've always had a strong representation of female leadership. Uh, it just, it, but you know, it wasn't until recently, I say recently, within the last 20 years that we had our first uh, female chief, but women have always been on our council. And so um, the, that presence has always been there, but it's really good to see our young women now basically asserting their role as matriarchs within the tribe and uh, stepping up to the table to say, hey, you know, we these are our voices. These are things we think. And it's been refreshing. Our the the community members I speak with, you know, the males, we're all we raised them up because that's how we were taught. You know, that the the women are uh, the they're important. They're the, they're the the givers of life. You know, they're the only ones who have that power is to create life. Um, they are to be respected and held in high esteem. And so seeing our our uh, women within our tribe and our younger uh, women stepping up has been refreshing and been highly supported uh, across uh, across our communities. And to see a large group of Lenape Hueok go all the way back to Lenape Hawking on their own and do different things, you know, uh, whether it's interacting with um, leaders of communities, uh, governmental officials, um, whatever it is that they're doing, um, seeing that you, you just see a lot of support whenever that's uh, publicized, whether that's on Facebook or through our uh, other you know, social media uh, venues. It's, uh, it's been something that um, is inspiring. You know, and it's it's especially inspiring for for myself having a daughter, you nice. know, to see that her voice is going to be heard when she decides to uh, take that role as she gets older. Uh, we have um, in our business ventures that we have as the Delaware Tribe now, we uh, have acquired um, Teton Trade Cloth, and we've rebranded as Teton Trade Cloth by Lenape, and within the logo is a Lenape woman as represented by the red dots on our cheeks in the, the hair piece that our women wear traditionally called the Osipalau. And that is actually represented in that logo. It was important for us to put that woman in that logo to denote that we are matrilineal, that we are a matriarchal society. Wonderful. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. How does, how does that affect it? Uh, two questions. I, and I do want to come back to an historical question, but just following up on that, in terms of um, women asserting themselves within um, the tribal system and tribal government, how, first of all, what's the relationship now like between the, you know, sort of state and federal governments, the government entities you're dealing with, uh, and the, the tribe itself? And is it, and how has the emergence of women speaking up, is, is it having an impact in terms of your relationships? with these other entities? You know, that's, that's, that's a kind of a hard question to answer, but I, I feel like across uh, Native America and with across the different tribes, you're starting to see um, that people are being forced to, to realize that um, within our tribal societies, it isn't always the men who are in charge. You look at our Deb Holland there. Yes. The, yeah. Uh, Department of the Interior. It, it, that was a huge uh, victory for all uh, of Native America. You know, we all were excited to see that a female, a Native female, was the head of some, the Department of the Interior. You know, that that's where she should have been. There's always should have been someone like that there. Absolutely. And so you see those, you see that um, people are... I, I haven't really come up with any resistance or uh, any uh, at least um, blatant or vocal resistance to uh, our female leadership like that. Uh, oftentimes it's um, at least outwardly met with a lot of respect. So um, I'm not to say, I don't know what's said behind closed doors and behind our backs, but you know, at least yeah. outwardly we're seeing, we're seeing that acknowledgement that these uh these women are not just equals, but oftentimes seen as, you know, we, we hold them up as greater than at times. Are, 
just in a general question are tribal relations uh, better recently in terms of in terms of dealing with the government federal government state governments uh where what is kind of the status sort of right now um so specifically to lenape let's just you know keep it to that yeah specifically to us um it is becoming a little bit uh i think a little bit easier people are starting to listen to us a little bit more whenever we say these are the things that we are trying to achieve. These is this is how we want to tell our story. This is we need our voice here. We're seeing that, but there's always resistance. Um, it's I would say it's better than my uh, my grandma and my other ancestors had it, but it's still a struggle. We're always we 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 joke even at so much to say that we've always walked in a room ready for a fight. Yeah we're needing right. something. And right. so for the first time uh, in my life, in the last few years, I've walked into rooms and say with institutions, I want to say like a university. And instead of going saying, Hey, this is what we need to be able to do. We need to be able to tell our stories the way we need to tell them. So they are true and authentic. We walked into the room and the first question that was asked was what would you like? And we hadn't heard that ever. Mm. I was with our chief at the time in a certain place. And when they, when we were asked, what is it that you want? We just kind of looked at each other because we were dumbfounded. And we, it, took, it took us a moment. We were taken aback. And we said, I looked at him and I said, have you ever been asked that question? As a Lenape representative? He said, no, I never have. So we expressed that. It was, it was uh, we were kind of left speechless for a moment because we're, we've always walked in ready to fight for everything that we stand for and for everything that we uh, we need are you know whether that's whether that's resources or representation. That's really that's 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 hopeful. That's good to hear. That's hopeful. Yeah, good to that's hear. hopeful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's hope it continues in this direction. I, I can only hope. It, it's uh, it's been some. There's been some really good experiences on those fronts. Just a couple, just uh, to circle back, just a couple of historical questions. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I had seen is that um, one of the roles that women had had uh, within Lenape culture had been in terms of medicine and healing. What was that like? And is that is, is that heritage still maintained in any sense in sort of contemporary um, Lenape culture? Well, that, that's the, uh, the healers... Um were often women. There were some men. They often were. They often received a vision as that that's what they were, um, and that they would uh, in certain ceremonies be able to recount that. Um, it went so far as um, I would say today how we carry that on. It, the a lot of the the traditional medicines have kind of fallen by the wayside simply because of um, lack of access to many of the traditional knowledge that we had from Lenape Hawking. So when you're, again, removal has kind of uh, right. put a damper on a lot of those things. And so trying to then learn the new plants, you know, your resources you have, the new plants, the new uh, whatever it is that you can use for medicines was um, very difficult because you're only staying in an area for 50 or 60 years at a time. Right. You know, it was really hard to develop that, that knowledge base that you had thousands of years to develop before. And so it kind of, what my understanding is that kind of shifted a little bit as well. So um, whenever it is the role of, uh, it, traditionally it was all over the, of our women to cook for families. Um, and that is not a, a menial thing. That's what we've, we've had to explain that men and women have different roles that are equally as important within our community. Even today, our women cooks are held in high regard uh, because you are, you are giving sustenance in life still by cooking and, and feeding your people. And so uh, it's always been taught I've always heard that as you prepare a meal, that you need to do it in a good way with good thoughts, because otherwise it can have a negative effect on those who eat it. Or if you're preparing, if you're making clothing uh, for someone, that you need to do that with good thoughts. Never make clothing or never cook when you're angry, because you're going to make whoever wears that clothing or eats that food feel bad. And so it uh, spiritually even, you know, so those 
those ideas still carry on. I still believe that actually stems from the roles of our uh, our women being healers. Yeah, there's an energy transfer. There's an energy transfer when you're when you're doing something quote unquote ordinary, but you're doing it in a sacred way. Then mm-hmm. that energy transfers. Yes, and it's just a general mindfulness of what you're doing. You know, that I think transfers as well. That does, um, we try not to uh, uh, share meals in, in, in anger, you know, even, uh, you know, eating for us is a big deal. As I think just as Lenape people, at least in my community, it is. Whenever we do something, we always have a meal um, or traditionally have. And we're actually bringing that back too, because as we had folks who were assimilated by, you know, boarding schools and things of that nature, right. they've kind of, you know, those, those traditions kind of fell by the wayside, but there are a lot of us who were still raised with it. And so we're trying to bring those things back. And, uh, uh, that creates a mindfulness of, um, intent of why you're here, why your community, uh, how you're building that, um, whatever it may be, if we're going to have social dances and we have social dance classes, just so folks can come and hear songs and and learn these things. We always eat and we have, it's, it's funny because the woman now who is preparing our food is not Lenape, she's Osage, but I think she puts some good thoughts in that food as well. It's, it's, it's always good. <laughs> nice. Um, um, one more question just about, again, the past, and I thought this was really kind of fun and interesting. There, uh, I think I mentioned to you, there was a sport, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that both men and women played together that was mm-hmm. kind of like, it seems like a cross between American football and sort of world football soccer. Like, so what was this sport? Because both, I think it's really interesting. I, I always like seeing in culture where men and women share this kind of like physical um, activity together, uh, that strength and expressing their strength together. So what was what was this sport about? What, what was this like? Oh, you, uh, you, I, I'm pretty sure you're talking about uh, uh, Pasa Haman, which yep, is uh, an yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> Indian football game. Uh-huh. Men, men versus women. Um, well, to start out, you know, we use a, a, a small ball that's created out of a, a deer hide and stuff with the, um, the, the, the fur from the, from the deer, the hair, the hair of the deer, that ball is stuffed with that and sewn up. And, um, so it's a pretty simple game. Um, it's, uh, you have your men, you have your women, the ball is thrown into the air. The women can run, throw, kick the ball, uh, and the men can only kick it from where they catch it and stand. So they cannot move once they've caught the ball, except a couple steps to kick the ball to the to their other teammates. Um, it is. I remember one game was played in Anadarko in the early '90s, in which we had. Um, some of our men ended up with broken ribs and broken noses. Oh my um, goodness. So, um, in pursuit of that ball, um, the women are allowed to tackle, to do whatever they need to, to get that ball. Um, I remember, and, and the men often will try to, <laughs> the men will often try to wrap the women up, you know, not trying to throw them to the ground, but try to impede their progress since they can run. Um, but I know I've I played that game um, as when I was young, um, and there have been times where you were dogpiled by all of your uh, aunties and grandmas and sisters and cousins, and you didn't you didn't want to have that ball in your possession very long. You're not you're trying to kick it as soon as you get it. Otherwise, you're gonna get you can get mauled pretty easily. Um, we've actually. Uh, uh, had a game not too long ago. I think it was last week and we didn't have enough uh, women. So some of our younger men uh, were asked to play on the women's side. And um, uh, usually I'm usually the women win. I mean, there is no, no getting around that. It's I've heard, I think uh, every year what well, we have a Delaware powwow, which is more kind of a homecoming powwow. It's a, it's a social dance, a social powwow in Copan, Oklahoma. And, uh, it's uh, there's usually a, a bet football game, men versus women. And of all the years I've attended, 
I think the men have won maybe once or twice. So if you're a betting person, you probably want to bet on the females. <laughs> so, but uh, well, I, it sounds I, like they don't pull their punches. <laughs> they do not. I know. Take, take the I, women and the points, as they would say. I, yeah, uh, I know that you'll see the men walking off the field with uh, maybe the collar of their shirt still intact. Um, you know, blood. It's it can get it can get intense. It can get really intense. And then we always. We always uh, uh, laugh because sometimes they'll grab an elder and give the ball to them, and we're not going to touch that elder. So they're like, "You're cheating! Stop the cheating!" But no, it's it's all it all goes, you know that that all goes, and and uh, we we laugh because we'll we'll say, you know, our women are ruthless, you know, they they can get ruthless, and <laughs> and it's all it's all in you know it's all in good fun, but there are sometimes there are injuries, you know, so. <laughs> It's pretty rough and tumble. It sounds. It like. is. Yeah. It is, and that's. And I, I think that speaks to the 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 equity we place. The you know the, the equality. Excuse me. We place on the you know our, our females as, as being strong. You know they they do get to they get a small advantage there because oftentimes you know uh, just stature or whatever and and uh, we want everyone to be able to play. They do get that little bit of an advantage, but they're they're oftentimes tougher than men out there. So it's, it's, a uh, it's, it's, it's something to behold sometimes. Nice. nice. I think that's a perfect place to, uh, to wrap this up and, and then this, um, Jeremy, is there anything in, in leaving, you'd like to leave our listeners with about this, about the nature of women in Lenape culture? I just feel like uh, I, I'm happy. I say Wanishi, Lindum. I'm glad uh, to be able to to share um, some of our beliefs and uh, some of our uh, ways of living for for folks who uh, are unfamiliar with this. And um, I would say that um, you know it's important to uphold the women in your communities to to raise them up because. Um, they are the life givers within a, what, whatever community that is. They are, they are the ones who um, are, are given a lot of tasks and burdens that, uh, that they, they carry with them. And so we try our best to, to kind of lessen those however we can. And I think it's important for folks to realize, you know, whether you're Lenape or not, you know, those types of roles that are important, they're, they're oftentimes um, overlooked in our, what I call the, the, uh, general society you know they're often often overlooked and um that it's not easy to to fulfill those roles um so i I think it by seeing how we were raised and seeing uh the the way that ways that were passed on to myself and my community members to realize that there are other ways of doing things too that not one way is always the correct way you know that if if anyone can actually just look at and hear that to say there are other ways of doing things that are um, just as uh, relevant and, and important to the ways that uh, they do it. Then I think that's a that's a good lesson to take away. And and if anyone wants to learn more about the Lenape people, the Lenape history and culture, to uh, make sure you reach out to our our federally recognized tribes. Uh, we're very open to sharing what we can about our culture and. Uh, if, and even if it's not Lenape, say you want to learn about another tribe, reach out to those actual tribes. You know, let them speak for themselves. Let them uh, use their own voice and and uh, tell their stories in their own ways. Is there a good place for people to reach out to you, Jeremy, if they want to learn more about Lenape? Yes, uh, they can email me, uh, Jeremy Johnson at DelawareTribe.org, the best way. Uh, we have a uh, website that is just DelawareTribe.org as well that they can visit and see. We have uh, uh, links there for Lenape language and culture, and they can visit those. Many PDFs, many resources there just to learn about our our communities, our history, and uh, that's uh, open to the public. It's right there on on the World Wide Web and uh, available to everyone. Fabulous. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I will need you. Thank you. Anything that you'd like to leave us with? Uh, I want to learn this game. Yeah. 
<laughs> hey, anyone's welcome to participate. So just you just need to come at the Memorial Day weekend to Copan, Oklahoma. Sounds go good. Play. Sounds good. Sean, we might need to make a road trip. I, I have to indeed. And and Jeremy, thank you so much for this. Personally, um, this has touched my heart in so many ways. Um, yeah, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. This has been the 34th Cersei Salon. They patriarchy great again. I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb. Thank you. I'm Don Sam Alden. Sorry, Don, please. <laughs> Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Take care, everyone, and blessed be.